Welcome to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, an introspective look at video gaming from the classic era to the modern day. Now here is your host, Brian. Hey folks, what's going on out there? Brian here, and this is episode number 66 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, which I am also right now streaming live on Twitch. Um, I am going to be streaming um, probably every other day. I've got a rough schedule laid out um, this week, but it'll be a long time before a long time before you guys hear this. But it'll be like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, perhaps Sunday, and then just literally every other day. And of course, that's barring any real-life circumstances that turn up or any family emergencies that have gone on. Speaking of that, that's what's been doing for, like, the last two weeks. Um, My girlfriend ended up in the hospital again this week past. I had to take two days off of work. um, And I was told by uh, the attending doctor that they had uh, a serious incident with her and her blood sugars to where she almost passed. So yeah, I had to focus on that and focus on my taking care of my son and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I haven't done much, although this Sunday passed after making sure my girlfriend was all right. I took my son up to the arcade for the first time. Um, I went up there just to get my, uh, pay because, right now I'm seriously cash strapped and I need to keep as much money in my bank account as possible um, to the point where I'm starting to have slight doubts about going to Connecticut in uh, October but I'm doing everything I can to make sure that that comes off because quite honestly I need the break Um, not to mention you know getting together with all the friends that I grew up with you know uh, meeting, you know, meeting family and that kind of stuff. And I, like I said, I think this will be the last trip I take by myself going back to Connecticut because I'll have to take Marcus once, you know, I think he's going to be okay. Cause the trip there, whether it's by car or whether it's by, uh, airplane, it's going to be tough for him, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else is going on? Um, just been playing Division 2, uh, another game, a zombie survival game, and I thought I'd never play a zombie survival game, but this one is a lot of fun. It's called Surround Dead. It's been out for a couple of years, and it's, I believe, a very good uh, survival-based, you know, zombie-based survival game. Um, it's also a looter shooter where you basically have to, you know, kill zombies and kill bandits in order to get their stuff to outfit yourself with guns and armor and weapons and stuff to, uh, craft things. And you are in this like huge valley and there are towns and there are military bases and other places you can explore, uh, in order to you know, get the stuff you need in order to survive. Um, shout out to Tony T, who got me into that game just by streaming it himself on Twitch. And he plays it regularly. And, you know, we have a little community. 
Um, aside from that, shout out to Mixie Girl, who is a Division Two player. She plays other stuff, but most of the time she just streams Division Two. I usually run with her, you know, in game and have you know fun with her and you know Drelock and uh, Viking Golfer and Bunfer and a bunch of other people. You know, I do like Division Two because it's got a really good community, and usually if you know you're polite. And you ask nicely to join them on whatever, uh, you know, missions they go on, even if it's just running the streets and, you know, shooting up bad guys, you know, they're like, yeah, come on, you know, come on in. Um, by doing that, that's accelerated my advancement through the game greatly to where actually I just, uh, was it last week? I think I got, uh, my 1000, uh, level in uh shd or shade and that with that now you can you're considered something of a veteran in the game or at least it's a major accomplishment by other players because it shows you've put a major uh time investment into the game and i still have fun with it um i'm still playing streets of rage 4 um i'm still messing around with BattleTech here and there um, now that I'm going to be streaming, and I'm streaming live right now on Twitch, twitch.tv slash arcadeaddictbrian, um, now that I'm streaming, you know, I'm going to have to sort of have a rotation, and I got enough games that I made a pretty decent rotation, uh, I have my primary games, I have my secondary and tertiary games, and the one things I do once in a great while. Um, my main ambition, if I've already talked about this in episode 64, but I'll just do it here, aside from creating a nice little following from doing variety, you know, everything from playing video games to podcasting, which is what I'm doing now, and eventually, if I can ever get my living room straight, situation straightened out, um, I want to actually start playing guitar live on stream. Um, I am nowhere like some of these people that I see, I mean, especially like, um, geez, what is his name? Um, oh goodness, my brain, I just had a brain fart, I just can't remember the guy's name, uh, the, uh, guitar player in, um, Dragon Force, and, I mean, I'm sorry, I can't, I just can't believe I forgot your name. <laughs> Oh boy, hold on. I gotta pull this up because I just cannot let that slide. That's unforgivable. That's absolutely unforgivable. Um, but yeah, I'm nowhere near as talented as that guy. And I mean, I play for enjoyment. I am not a uh, a really technical player. I like playing rhythm guitar more than anything else. You know. And I consider myself an amateur, an enthusiastic amateur at that. But yeah, that's what I do. And once I get the equipment set up and, you know, I figure out how to tie it all in. Um, once I figure out how to tie it all into the stream, I'm going to do that. Um, and shout out to um, Agatha who used to be a guitar stream streamer, but she suffered a nasty accident and she's had uh, nerve damage to her hand and it's really tough for her to play guitar now, even though she's kind of slowly, kind of, sort of, maybe working into it. 
Uh, but the other person I want to thank, and I'm forgetting her name, and I'm looking at my list of streamers on uh, Twitch right now, <laughs> because, yeah, I'm a little, mentally, I'm a little tired, so I'm just not, uh, I'm just not remembering names right now. I'm usually pretty decent with names, but I can't remember them. But there's another uh, streamer uh, who is of uh, Brazilian descent, living in Germany, and she's in two bands right now, and she's awesome too. I, I found her by watching Agatha, and they both used to do um, heavy metal cover, you know, you know, heavy metal covers and everything like that, and it was really cool to watch them. They were... There's, they were really good streamers. I mean, as, as a matter of fact, I haven't seen Agatha on in a little while. She's gotten more into crafting now. I hope she's okay, because I haven't seen her on stream in a while. Um, and as to the other person, whose name escapes me as well, I'm a, per I'm a terrible person. Um, you know, she goes on stream every not, nowhere near as much as she used to, because now she's involved in two bands. And she's playing live in Europe at festivals and clubs, you know, around Germany and around Europe in general. And shout out, to, shout out to her because, yeah. And so what I'll probably end up doing is that once I get everything straightened out and get everything set up the right way, I'm going to, you know, start playing, also playing guitar on stream. Just so I can get, you know, some, sort of get back into it a little bit because I haven't played, uh, I haven't played guitar seriously in years, um, probably since, I'd say probably about five years. It's been about that long. But anyway, so that's pretty much the plan as far as streaming goes, um, and I hope you guys take the ride along with me. Once again, Twitch.tv/arcadeaddictbrian. Okay. Um, let's see, I checked emails and voicemails and nothing's out there. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ch uh, stay tuned. I am going to change the voicemail number one more time, and this will be the last time, because actually I have a line dedicated to it. I don't have to rely on Google Voice and logging into uh, Google Voice once a month, because that's easy to forget with the way my life is. Um, relying on them to keep the phone number. So hang in there, the, that change is coming. Um, right now, if I remember to pull up my uh, my Google Docs, I can give you the number. Okay, uh, this is only temporary, but um, the number right now is area code 734-274-9262. Uh, of course, if you have email, if you want to email the show, that is at arcadeaddictbrian, all one word, at gmail.com. Uh, I am also on Facebook, Twitter, although not for much longer, I think, uh, Instagram, and Tumblr. On Facebook, just uh, do a search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict or Arcade Addict Brian. It'll take you right to that page, and there is a discussion group that goes along with that. Just put in Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. On uh, Twitter, I am at ArcadeAddict underscore B. On Instagram, I am ArcadeAddictBrian. And Tumblr is Tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict. So, as always, multiple ways of getting hold of the show. If you have any questions, thoughts, comments, uh, is there a video game that you want me to cover, uh, one that I haven't covered yet, uh, just let me know, and I'll see about putting it in the, uh, in the queue. 
and I will get to it eventually. Alright then, so with all that done, we've got some... we got three topics for the show today, and... oh, I take that back, we have four. But uh, I think you'll like it, and I did my best to put the best episode uh, together that I can, so let's get right on to it. Arcade Review. Quarters Arcade, Bay City, Michigan. Okay, before I get into this, I will say that this review was done before they moved to their new location. Okay, so I haven't been up there yet, so I'm going to go with the original review that I did back in December of 2021. So uh, when I get when I get up there and I'm able to check it out, I will come back and I will uh, I will uh, update the review and give my thoughts uh, on each uh, criteria. And speaking of criteria, uh, when I review an arcade, there are five of them. Uh, location, selection, ambiance, functionality, and value. Location, that's, that's self-explanatory. Where is it? Uh, is it easy to get to? Is it near a major highway? Is it near a major roadway? Uh, is there plenty of parking? Things like that. Uh, selection. How many machines do they have? Do they have a good cross-section of games? Um, things like that. Uh, ambiance. Are, what's there aside from the video games? Are, is there music playing? Is there uh, other things to attract the eye? Things you know to look at, like you know art, back glasses, pictures, you know things of that nature. Uh, functionality. That's pretty self-explanatory. How do the games look? How do the games play? Do they look bad but play good? But do they look good or play bad? Or, you know, any combination of those two. Um, you know, usually, you know, a game that looks bad but plays good gets more points for me than a game that looks good but plays terrible because it hasn't been maintained. Uh, let's see. And finally, value. That's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, do they run quarters? Do they run tokens? Uh, do they do the uh, free play option? Do they run on a uh, point card like some places do? Things like that. So each criteria is rated from 1 to 10 with half points coming into play. You add all the scores up, divide it out by 5, and you have a total score. So here we go. All right, location. I give that a 7. Uh, at the time of this review, Crazy Quarters was located on Center Street in downtown Bay City on the east side of the Saginaw River. It's an hour and a half uh, drive from my house, but it's pretty easy to get to. Uh, it, it was in an older building, and it's had plenty of street parking around it. Uh, it's about three miles east of Interstate 75 in US 23 and close to M25, which heads eastward out of town. Uh, when I did test driving for Hyundai, uh, one of the routes we had took us straight through Bay City, so I'm pretty familiar with the area, and I am. <laughs> yeah, that was a very long route, by the way, was it? 
360 miles, if I'm not mistaken. You know, drive all the way up to Bay City, get on M25 and take that out of town, all the way around the Thumb, all the way down to Port Huron before going back to base. Yeah, it was a long drive. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was nice, at least most of the time. There were a couple times where I hit deer up there, but, you know, it happens, especially up there because there are a lot of deer. But I digress. Uh, selection. I give that an 8. Um, when I visited, the selection was rather impressive with lots of pinball machines from all the eras going back to the 60s and 70s, going right up to the modern day. Uh, their video game selection was just as varied with plenty of old school games as well as games from the 90s and 2000s, along with Papa Shot and Ski Ball. Uh, they have since put in more machines and added a second floor, so I need to go back up there and check it out. Now, that was before they moved. Um, from what I saw from the walkthrough that the owner did, that selection score is going to go up. And it's going to go up pretty high, I think. Probably, I'd say probably at least 8.5, if not 9. Um, with selection, I usually try to put the number right around the number of machines that they have. If Galloping Ghost is the standard, if Galloping Ghost is a 10, and Galloping Ghost has over 900 uh, games and machines, you know, so if they're the gold standard at 10, you know, I have to go backwards. You know, I still have to figure out that formula. One of these days I'll sit down and do it, but enough about that. Uh, Ambiance, 6.5. Uh, when I visited this place in November 21, uh, as I said in the rundown, there was a little bit of an unfinished look about the place, which considered that they weren't open for very long, that's to be expected. Uh, the front counter had quite a bit going on with candy for sale, drinks, t-shirts, and I purchased one, which I have to find. <laughs> I, haven't, I don't have no idea where that, where that shirt is. Um, they had vending machines in the back across from the restrooms, and they had video game art to look at as well. So they get above average marks for that. Uh, functionality, 6.5. Uh, most of the machines I played worked well and looked to be in good condition, but because I was pressed for time, I couldn't play as many machines as I would have liked, but the ones I did play were played decently. Once again, I'll revisit, it th revisit this when I go back up there. And finally, value, I give it a 4. Um, at the time, all the machines ran on quarters, which is in their name. Uh, but all of the machines were 50 cents to play. That's below average value in my book, is as is evidenced from my reviews of other places that run on quarters. Uh, I understand at the time they were just starting out, so when I get back up there, things might have changed. We'll see about that. So you add all that up, you divide it out by 5, and you get a total score of 6.4. Um, all in all, Crazy Quarters wasn't a bad experience at all, but I have to be fair about the 50 cent issue. I've docked places like Pinball Pete's for this, so in the interest of fairness, I have to do the same for them. Uh, as I've said, I need to revisit this place because they have relocated to a former supermarket storefront uh, as of May of 23, so I'm going to have to revisit this review when I can find the time to go up there. As always, stay tuned. And that's my review of Crazy Quarters Arcade before their move. Now, when I go up there, I'll keep it in mind, and we'll see where it goes from there. I mean, if they're still charging 50 cents for games like, you know, Frogger and Zaxxon and Asteroids and Pac-Man, of course, I'm going to leave that value score right where it is, because 
though there are certain games that should not be 50 cents and i don't care what the the reason why that is you know i mean i've docked pinball pete's for that and i've docked other places for that and i have to do it here you know it's just how it is you know it's it's just a major sticking point and you guys who have listened to this podcast over the last five years know that so let's just leave that alone um like i said this is uh tbd because i need to go back up there and check out the new place and the new storefront and we'll see how it goes from there so yeah um if you've been to crazy quarters uh since their relocation uh let me know because i want to know you know what the actual experience is like i mean i've seen what it what it looks like i haven't actually been there to you know to sort of get in the mix so to speak but i mean they have all kinds of things going on in that place and and not only in the place but around it too so if they've got other things to add value to the arcade the value score will go up it's that simple but anyway if you've been there and been there recently let me know what it's like because i want a little heads up before i go there arcade addict brian at gmail.com all right, from there, let's go on to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Hopey, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying red arsed in the heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe we're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. Yeah. We're not too old for this shit. I'm not gonna buy a hemorrhoid clip. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Moon Cresta. <laughs> this game. Oh, this game. I have thoughts and... I've, I think I've talked about it from time to time in previous episodes, but... I'll get to that, because I've got other things. I've got a lot of, lot to say about this game. So, But in the meantime, let's go right over to Wikipedia, and let's see what kind of information they've got about this game. Mooncrusty is a fixed-shooter game released by Michibutsu for arcades in 1980. In North America, it was licensed to Sega, Gremlin, and Centuri, the latter releasing it in arcades as Eagle. I remember that because I've seen uh, I've seen it as Mooncrest. I've seen it as Eagle. Uh, Incentive Software published ports of Mooncrest for the Amstrad CPC, Commodore 64, Dragon 32, and ZX Spectrum home computers. I had it for my Commodore too. So yeah, more memories. Uh, in 2022, the original arcade version will be included as part of the Sega Astro City Mini 5, a vertically oriented variant of the Sega Astro City Mini console. Oh, that's cool. All right, cool. Awesome. Uh, Gameplay. The player begins with a small spaceship armed with a single laser cannon, also known as a pea shooter. (laughs) After successfully completing the first four waves of alien attacks, the player must attempt to dock the ship with the next stage of the ship. Uh, This second stage has two lasers in addition to the original one. Each dock stage is one of the player's lives, which I thought was genius, actually. That was so different than any other shooter that was out at the time. But to continue. Uh, After successfully clearing two more waves of aliens, the player must again dock with the third and final piece of the ship, which also has two more lasers, giving the player five in total. 
The trade-off for this is that the entire ship is a much larger target. Failure to correctly align the stages during either docking sequence causes the destruction of the stage being docked with. That's true. Uh, after completing the first eight waves, the player's ship reverts to the first stage of the process is repeated. At a slightly harder difficulty level, by the way. Uh, if any of the player's three ships are lost along the way, the docking sequence only occurs after the first four waves have been completed. Play ends when all three of the player's ship stages are destroyed. Let's see. Well, let's do the retrospective real quick. Uh... In 1998, Allgame said that while Mooncrested had several unique ideas, particularly the ship's docking mechanic, slick controls, and this fast-paced action, it was ultimately hampered by its high difficulty level. They said that the tough gameplay would put off a lot of players. Quote, Slick controls, distinctive graphics, and an almost musical sound effects add up to a memorable package, but one which was too tough for some casual gamers to master. End quote. Uh, by contrast, in 2007, Eurogamer greatly praised the game for its addictive nature, creativity, and overall challenge that helped set the standard for the games to follow. They said, quote, I still, to this very day, admire Mooncrested for being an adrenaline-fueled, non-nonsense shmup that epitomizes the simplistic gaming challenges of early arcade games. Left, right, and fire was all it took to take a young, impressionable teenager from a world where potting the black was the challenge of the day end quote in 2016 uh, Hardcore Gaming 101 labeled Mooncresta as being an influential and a well regarded shooter from the era they greatly praised the game's key differences from games like Galaxian and Galaga such as the ship docking mechanic Hardcore Gaming 101 felt mixed towards Super Famicom and PlayStation conversions, disliking both versions' modifications to the enemy speed and other characteristics in the game, which they said might put off fans of the original. Retro Gamer felt the same way about the arcade original, saying that Mooncrusta had several differences that made it stand out from Galaxian and Galaga, and that it was an entertaining and important game in its own right. They praised the game's large layer of strategy and scoring alongside the ship's docking mechanic. Retro Gaming concluded their review by writing, quote, By predating Galica's multiple ship mechanic and introducing a range of diverse enemies, Mooncrested is rightfully regarded as a key stage in the development of arcade shooters, end quote. I can agree with that. Okay, and finally, the legacy. Mooncrested spawned a series of sequels, spin-offs, and alterations. Gremlin Industries released Super Mooncrested, a modification kit that allows the enemy to fire back at the level and changes some of the text. Uh, Nichibusu itself created Moon Quasar, a spin-off that gives the second ship more firepower and a brief refueling segment. I'm going to have to look to see if I've got that. Uh, let's see. Where the player must dock their vessel into a mothership towards the center of the screen. Moon Cresta became the first installment of the Cresta series, which spans into five, five installments and two spin-offs. The first sequel to Moon Cresta was released in 1985 titled Terra Cresta. Is a vertically scrolling shooter where players collect different ship pieces that each provide a new weapon. Yeah, I've played that. Uh, the first spin-off game in the series, UFO Robo Danger, was released in 1986 that was similar to Terra Cresta, where the player controls a giant mecha instead of a starship. I think I played that too. Uh, in 1987, Nichibutsu released Terra Force, another spin-off game, which adds horizontal scrolling segments alongside the vertical ones from Terra Cresta. 
A direct sequel to Terra Cresta titled Terra Cresta 2 Mandler's Counterattack was released in 1992 for the PC Engine in Japan, adding new stage designs, additional bosses, and more weapons and power-ups to use. A 3D follow-up, Terra Cresta 3D, was released in 1997 for the Sega Saturn, being one of Nichibutsu's final games. It serves as a 3D update to Terra Cresta with new stages and weapon types. A fourth sequel, Soul Cresta, was released in February 2022 by Platinum Games. Wow, I didn't know they released all that. That's cool. Okay, that's pretty much all there is for Moon Cresta, so let's move on to my experiences with it. This game was the rage in 1980, but not in the usual places. There was a mom-and-pop newsstand grocery store in a shopping plaza on Main Street in my hometown that had it. Then the McCrory's department store had another one. One had a control stick and a fire button, while the other one had all control buttons. I enjoyed playing this game, and I was pretty decent at it until you got to about level 5 or 6, where the enemies would speed up to the point where you could easily lose a life from collisions. The trick was to preserve your stage ships as much as possible, though starting each level with a stage 1 pea shooter was a test of your skill for sure, even at the beginning of the game. Uh, getting all three stages docked meant a great deal of firepower, and you needed it for the final two stages. Uh, this was a great game, if really difficult. The last time I saw a Mooncrest machine, uh, the arcade in, Br in Brighton had one, I think around 2016 or 2017, though I am certain that Gallop and Ghost has one. And... That's Mooncresta. Uh, if you have any more information about this game, or you have some experiences with it, hey, get a hold of me. I want to know. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com Alright, let's move right on to Home Systems. There is no place like home. Hey guys, I'm going home. Look, this is not a game, Max. Screw you guys, I'm going home. Shall we play a game? Love to. Screw you guys. Okay, home systems, the Vectrex. God, I wanted one of these so bad when, in 1983. I'm telling you, I wanted one badly, but I couldn't. But I couldn't get the money together, and my mother was not going to buy me another video game system. That's for damn sure. I think I made a bad choice in 1982, and we'll leave it at that. Okay, uh, going back to Wikipedia for the information. The Vectrex is a vector display-based home video game console, the only one ever designed and released for the home market developed by Smith Engineering. It was first released in the North America market in November of 1982 and then Europe and Japan in 1983. Originally manufactured by General, Con General Consumer Electronics, it was later licensed to Milton Bradley after they acquired the company. Bandai released the system in Japan. The Vectrex, in contrast to other video game systems at the time, did not need to be hooked up to a television set. It had an integrated monochrome CRT monitor. A detachable wired control pad could be folded into the lower base of the console. Games came with a translucent color overlays to place over the screen. Optional peripherals included a pair of 3D goggles known as the 3D Imager and a light pen for drawing directly on the screen. The Asteroids-inspired Mindstorm was built into the system. The console was conceived by John Ross of Smith Engineering in late 1980 as a handheld called the Mini Arcade. As development progressed, it morphed into a tabletop system that was manufactured by General Consumer Electronics. Uh, 
Strong initial sales caused uh, GCE to be acquired by Milton Bradley, however. Just mere months later, the Vectrex would succumb as a victim of the video game crash of 1983 and was discontinued in early 1984. <laughs> so sad. Uh, despite its commercial failure, the Vectrex was praised for its software library, unique graphical capabilities, and built-in monitor. Several publications lauded it as one of the best consoles available at the time. I'll agree with that. The Vectrex was the first console to have a 3D-based peripheral. The, a colored handheld version of the Vectrex was conceived in the late 1980s, but was shelved because of its manufacturing cost and its success of the Nintendo Game Boy. Yeah, the Game Boy was an absolute juggernaut at the time. And that reminds me, I do need to put that into uh, home systems as well, because it deserves it. Okay, let's do the history. The Vectrex was conceived by John Ross of Smith Engineering in late 1980. He, Mike Purvis, Tom Sloper, and Steve Marking had gone to Electromaven, a surplus warehouse in Los Angeles. They found a one-inch cathode ray tube and wondered if a small electric, electronic game could be made of it. Uh, a demonstration of a vector drawing cathode ray tube display was made by connecting the deflection yoke in a standard television to the channels of a stereo amplifier and fed with music program material. An auxiliary yoke was used to keep the raster television's horizontal flyback high-voltage system running. The demo led to a system originally conceived as the handheld called the Mini Arcade, but as Smith Engineering shopped the idea around to developers, it, developed, it, evolved, <clears throat> edit, it evolved into a tabletop with a 9-inch screen. The system was licensed to General Consumer Electronics in 1981. After a brief hardware and software development period, the Vectrex was unveiled on June 7, 1982 at the Summer Consumer Electronics Show in Chicago. It was publicly released in November at a retail price of $199 US just in time for the holidays. The launch sales were strong enough that Milton Bradley bought out General Consumer Electronics in early 1983. Milton Bradley's greater resources allowed the Vectrex to re be released in parts of Europe by mid-1983 and through a co-branding agreement with Bandai in Japan as well. Uh, however, the video game crash of 1983 turned Milton Bradley's support of the Vectrex into a costly mistake, even despite reducing its price by 25%, then later by 50% in desperation to sell units. In February 1984, after losing $31.6 million on the Vectrex, Milton Bradley announced a discontinuation of the console and canceled development of new games. The company's entire inventory of consoles and accessories was sold off to mass-market discount houses, where they were liquidated at a fraction of the console's introductory price. By May of 1984, Milton Bradley merged with Hasbro, and aftermarket support ended. Prior to the Vectrex's discontinuation, a successor console with a color screen had been planned. After the rights reverted to Smith Engineering, the, com the company made plans to revive the Vectrex as a handheld, but the imminent arrival of Nintendo's Game Boy put an end to those plans. In the mid-1990s, Jay Smith, then head of Smith Engineering, allowed new hardware and software development on a fee and royalty-free basis. Smith has also allowed duplication of the original Vectrex software on a not-for-profit profit basis to allow Vectrex owners to obtain the original titles at a low cost for free. Wow. <laughs> that was pretty pretty decent. Okay. Let's go straight to the reception. There's more stuff about the design and the peripherals and the overlays. 
you know, and the software, but I'm going to skip over all that. Let's go straight to the reception. Byte in 1982 called Vectrex, quote, one of the greatest game machines we have seen this year. Vectrex is a good bet to score big with the consumer, end quote. The magazine praised the screen, stating that, quote, it almost has to be seen to be believed. Imagine playing games at home or in the office using vector graphics with three-dimensional rotation and zoom, end quote, and noted that, quote, it is unusual and refreshing to see a product appearing on the market with its software ready to run, end quote. David H. All stated in Creative Computing, Video, and Arcade Games in 1983 that, quote, vector graphics really do make a difference and the strong lineup of games helps immensely, end quote. And now the legacy. Uh, since late 1995, there has been a Usenet community of hobbyists writing games for ParaJVE, a Vectrex emulator. Its emulation is also a compound of mess included in MAME, so RetroArch 2 via Libre... I can't pronounce that. Uh, DVE, IRVEX, VECX, and a Wii version called Vectrex Wii. Huh, interesting. Wow. There's a whole community going on here. Uh, schematics for a Vectrex multi-card cartridge is available, allowing several games to be packed on one cartridge. There are also several people manufacturing and selling newly made games. I've seen some of these games, by the way. And some complete as cartridges with packing and overlays in the style of the original commercially released games, others with varying degrees of packaging. New hardware has also been developed for the Vectrex in recent years, including a light pen that addressed the limitation of the original version by buttons that replaced the second controller required on the original version, and a daughter board that addresses the well-known buzz in the system's audio, bypassing the original audio circuitry on the power board in favor of a module installed elsewhere within the cabinet. Very interesting. So, yes. Okay. Going on to my experiences with it, which is very limited, I will tell you right now, it's extremely limited. <laughs> I think I maybe played a Vectrex once in back in those days. I wanted this game system very badly, but I did not dare ask my mother for one after she came out of the pocket for an Atari 52 for Christmas of 1983. I thought the game selection was fantastic, and it, I think it would have been a great alternative to the Intellivision and the ColecoVision if the crash of 1983 had not happened. It was innovative for its time, and they go for stupid money nowadays on the seller market. And yes, they do. I've seen some on eBay for ridiculous amounts of money. Uh, in a world of what-ifs in video game history surrounding the crash, I think this is one of the bigger ones. Um, yeah, I think that this system could have been very huge, because it was about as innovative as innovative gets. And when everybody is going with, you know... 4-bit, 8-bit systems, you know, and going in that direction, you know, to do something as elegant as, and as simple as vector graphics, and not only that, making the games good, yeah, this could have been a major hit, at least until the NES came out. So, yeah, that's the Vectrex. I played, I think I played Vectrex in uh, emulation. I'm trying to remember where I've had... I think I have an emulator on my computer somewhere. I'll have to look it up. But, um, yeah. <laughs> the, I've, seen the, I've seen them. 
I've played maybe once, maybe twice back in the day, but I played it more in emulation fairly recently. Um, if you owned a Vectrex back in the day, if you still have it, and it still works, good on you. You have a small gold mine sitting there. <laughs> but yeah, if you've owned it and owned the games, then let me know what you felt about it and what you thought about it. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com Okay, moving on from there, let's move on to the Silver Ball. Manufactured in 1981 by Bally. Okay, again, I cannot find much information on this machine aside from the bare minimum. Uh, Medusa was designed by Wally Welch. The machine was one of the first multi-level pins I ever saw back in the day, the other two being Black Hole and Haunted House. I had all but forgotten about this beauty until I walked in to work at the arcade one Friday to pick up my pay, and there she was. I cannot for the life of me remember where I saw this machine first, but I found it machine. I saw found the game to be intriguing. It's a very interesting concept, beautiful to look at, and when it's working right, it's a great old school machine to play. I watched a playthrough uh, from Papa Pinball, which is actually Professional and Amateur Pinball Association. It has nothing to do with Pennsylvania. <laughs> Silly me. Um, the trick to getting high scores on Medusa is to keep the ball in the upper play field, hitting the drop targets, and then the red targets to light up the A and B arrows and then landing the ball in the kickout hole to the left, which scores points immediately and also adds to your bonus at the end of the ball, along with hitting the left spinner from going from the lower play field to the upper uh, to launch the ball back up there and also increases the bonus multiplier. I mean, it's easier said than done, but now I know better what to do after watching a few videos on it. Um... The high score on the machine at the arcade is only about 750,000, and I've come close a couple of times. I think the highest score I had was like 570,000, but basically it all comes down to making your target shots in the upper play field and getting that ball in the kickout hole when it's lit. That's how you get your score. That's how you get your score up. Because if you just go around hitting targets and things like that, and the out lanes are, can be brutal sometimes. I swear there's like a magnet in there, the way that it sort of moves away from the lane going down to your flipper to the out lane to end your ball. I swear there's a magnet in there. <laughs> uh, and... Um, yeah, if you, you have to keep shooting those targets in the upper play field and hitting those, uh, drop targets and then shooting the, uh, kick out hole. That's how you get more and more and more points. I think the game I saw on, uh, YouTube where someone from Papa was playing it, I think he got over a million points and he did it fairly easily. So, yeah, 
you know, I love this game is awesome. I mean, I'm glad I got reacquainted with it. I really am. Um, but anyway, uh, if you've played Medusa, and or you know of a place that has it, and there aren't many places in Michigan that have it. I think there's only one other place. I think it's Sparks that has a Medusa machine, aside from the arcade in Brighton. Um, hey, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrighton at gmail.com. <clears throat> okay, and finally... Oh, wait. Oh, we're done. <laughs> Silly me. Wow. Okay. We are finished, and that's a short show. Uh, let's see... Looking ahead to episode 67, I have another arcade rundown coming, uh, top 10s, and let's see, what else? Uh, and Are You Experienced as well, so I've got three segments for that one, but looking at it, I have three page, uh, excuse me, four pages of information to go through, so yeah, you know, it'll be a pretty decent episode as far as time goes. So, um, once again... Uh, I'll be streaming on Twitch, usually every other day. Um, today is the 24th, well, it's now the 25th of uh, July. Um, I, us- I think I'm going to be going Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Tuesday. I think I'm skipping Thursday because that's my late day at work. Uh, Friday... Then Sunday, that, that, it, it just gets a little confusing, but suffice to say, it's usually going to be every other day. Um, but yeah, if you're uh, interested, it is, of course, twitch.tv slash arcadeaddictbrian. Uh, that's the channel name. Um, I go by a different channel for other things on Twitch. Um, I'm slowly, excuse me, going to be moving towards uh, the Arcade Addict Brian one and letting the other one lapse at least that's the idea right now i don't know what i'm going to do it's probably going to be something over the next several months because i've been on other on this other screen name oh goodness how long what nine years maybe 10 now so you know a lot of people know me under that under that nickname and so it's going to merging you know migrating over to the new one's going to take time so uh but anyway that's going to be it for this show This is Brian saying, have fun out there, good gaming, au revoir. You have been listening to the Confession of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music is provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by voicemail at area code 734-632-0832. Also, you can drop an email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. So until next time... You have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.